0: welcome to the midman podcast a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice i'm jesse arnoldson and i'm jay holmes through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry we help uncover resources tools and ideas to help you level up thanks for tuning in
1: and we hope you enjoy today's program
0: Hey everyone, Jay here with the Medman Podcast. I'm going to kick it off with a quick intro to Scott Tucker, and then we'll jump into the interview. Scott Tucker is a practice administrator at Medman, working in Women's Health Associates in Boise, Idaho. Scott also helps with revenue Cycle Management and administrative services for other small group solo practices. Scott started his career in public safety field working in fire, EMS, and law enforcement. He has a diverse background from providing patient care as an EMS provider paramedic through management and administration. In addition to his primary role as an administrator for a large group practice, he still works as a practicing paramedic. However, his true life calling is rescuing labs. He's got two black labs right now, Simba and Brody. Scott, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you join us today. Thank you. So let's jump into this with kind of a broad question. Tell us how you got into healthcare.
1: So, As you mentioned in the the intro there, I I started off in public safety. I actually started when I was 14. I had a friend who was doing a Explorer program with one of the local fire departments and he asked me to do it. And I started and it was fun. Uh, I actually thought I was going to go into be a veterinarian. Um, However, I went and shadowed a veterinarian and figured out I don't like hurt animals. I can't deal with it. I can deal with hurt people. I can't do hurt animals. So that was a route I didn't take. And as I continued, I enjoyed medicine and Pre-hospital medicine, so I got my EMT as soon as they would let me. I had to be 18 at that time. That's changed now, but I obtained my EMT and started working for a private ambulance service. And then I also was doing sports medicine at um, local high schools, so I did a lot of athletic events and in conjunction with the ambulance service. And I also started working in the ER uh, downtown and developing an even bigger passion for emergency medicine. So after a few years, I decided it was time to take the next step. So I went through the paramedic program and um, got my paramedic and started working for one of the counties here locally as a pre-hospital paramedic. And through that, I became a field training officer, then a field supervisor. And given some of the dynamics going on within the political arena, I was asked to become the deputy director for the county and work on building a EMS system countywide that incorporated all the stakeholders and all the partners. So I did that for a while and transitioned out of public safety and started working in a primary urgent care clinic as a paramedic and medical assistant and progressed into administration there. And that's where I am now. It's in a different clinic, but in the in the admin
0: role. Are there moments where you miss being on the clinical side of things? Yes,
1: I still do practice as a paramedic, so I get to fill that part of my bucket occasionally. But it, it's definitely helped my ability to understand the main parts of a, a clinic as far as the clinical side, the administrative side, the revenue cycle side, and then the management side as well
0: yeah that's awesome and and certainly a theme from a lot of administrators that that we've interviewed is having that you know clinical background certainly it's got to help you know others that that you lead um relate and build some trust
1: yeah it's it's uh i find it helpful being able to each of those big components has their own language and being able to facilitate being a you know, liaison slash translator for the different groups and what they view as, as important or what they think should happen and really trying to get them to understand the impact that it has overall. So whether it's a provider saying, no, we should just be able to do this and having to get them to understand, well, this is how it impacts the billing side, administrative side, or this is the operational support that it would take to do that, and then vice versa. Everybody that works in a clinic knows the the billing department can be definitely different than the the rest of the clinic. And being able to speak their language and, and explain their needs and what they're focusing and faced, faced with to overall help the visits or help the help the clinic operate successfully and, and smoothly.
0: Totally okay. Well, let's let's jump into this big success that you've had. Tell me about it, and and then we'll we'll um, dive in deeper.
1: So one of the providers I worked with at the clinic that I I worked with, I guess it's been six years now. He had this idea of wanting to bring back, quote unquote, old school medicine. So the idea that a provider comes to your house for just your regular visit stuff, not home health, not hospice, nothing like that, but just the idea that you don't feel very good and you want your quote unquote doctor, aka provider. To come to your house with their little black bag and take care of you. We wanted to bring that back. He found that it was something he really wanted to do and he didn't know how to do it. So he called me one day and said, hey, come to my house. And I think there was a football game on or something. We were sitting on his couch and he said, I have this idea. It's like, okay, interesting. Very interesting. He's like, so can we make it happen? And me and my sometimes inability to not say no And, and uh which gets me into trouble sometimes i was like well sure let's try it let's see what we can do so we spent a year and a half getting that group up and running really challenging the payers um challenging some of the other areas in healthcare that while we're founded on this this practice and this principle weren't set up for it anymore and so it, it took quite a bit of time and now they're up and running and it's, it's been great to see and, and patients, what we're seeing out of it is, is great. Not only from a patient satisfaction, but from even some payer satisfaction, reducing some of the ER, ER visits because somebody can come
0: to their house. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into the, the payer pain point. Really? What were the obstacles that you faced and, and how'd you, how'd you get around them? So it, it, it had to
1: do with CPT coding. So the, the traditional home visits, uh, when we started, they were very clearly for home health. So you couldn't necessarily bill the home visit because it would go to their home health benefit, which required pre-certification, pre-authorization. They had to be you know, officially designated for home health. And there's a big criteria for that. And then, But what we were really doing was more of the traditional outpatient visit, but in the home. And, but we didn't quite meet the traditional outpatient Visit code either because we didn't have a brick and mortar facility that we were operating out of. So there was there was the two components, and and really what it came down to was the facility RVU expense. And so it was working with the payers and getting to determine how they wanted this to be processed. So we got in agreements with some of the major payers that they wanted us to bill the the home visit code, and but they had an exclusion or overwrite in their system that if our tax ID billed that home visit code, it didn't go to home benefit, home health benefit. And then on the flip side, there were other payers that were had us build a regular outpatient code with the place of service of home, which would indicate we didn't do it in a brick-and-mortar clinic. We did it at somebody's
0: house. Gotcha. And did you find that that you had some consistency with the payers, or did each payer have a specific modifier that you had to use? Uh, the
1: The payers, there was consistency. They're about split in half on which one wanted us to do which. So there was nothing. There's nothing really unique. We're either, you know, it's either getting billed as a home visit or it's getting billed as a regular outpatient clinic visit uh, with the place of service a home. Looking at the 2021, as you know, the E&M codes are changing. It looks like we're going to be. They've opened up the the clarity on what a home visit is, and it's no longer home health related. It's anything that's done basically not in a clinic and not at an assisted living or a skilled nursing facility.
0: Gotcha. So the future looks to, to ease a little bit of that, that additional work that, that you guys put in.
1: This concept is becoming quite popular. There's some, some bigger groups that are doing this. We're seeing some primary care practices, some direct primary care practices that are doing this concept as well. It's it resurging. I think especially in the, the current pandemic, it's getting even worse.
0: Yeah, I bet. Talk to me a little bit about what kind of what my mind goes to is is access and then really capacity for the provider, you know, is the provider at a capacity to really support themselves and does that give enough access to enough patients knowing that demand is, you know, it's not a straight line across the, the day. It's, you know, different days, different times. How have they managed?
1: So from an access perspective, it improves access for the patients, but as you know, and most know, you know, a provider working in a brick and mortar can schedule 20, 30, 40 patients in a seven, eight hour day. You can't do that if you have to account for drive time. And so the providers see a lot less as far as number of patients, and there's a lot more logistical needs that they have. They don't really have an MA going with them. They don't really have a receptionist going with them. So the provider takes on a lot of those roles. So on on one hand, from a cost perspective, the overhead for the practice stays low because they don't have as much support staff that you need in a traditional brick and mortar. The downside is in this fee-for-service world, you're also billing, you know, a quarter of the amount of visits that you would normally bill in an hour a day. So it's kind of an offset. It's definitely not one that providers go into to make uh, a lot of money. It's definitely not a path for that, but the providers do it because they like it and they get more time with their patients And they get to have a little different relationship with the patients than what they do if they're just trying to see 25 or 30 patients in a clinic. What we are seeing now is people will schedule a visit and then their neighbor will schedule a visit. And so we can kind of coordinate them together in their their neighborhoods, just from a locality perspective. But what we're probably seeing the most beneficial has been for some of our patients that are have a primary care provider, but have limited access to get to their office. And so we have, for the last few years, partnered with a couple of the payers, and they're using our services to go to some of these patients that haven't been able to get in for their annual wellness exam and getting it accomplished and getting it completed because of a logistical issue, i.e. they don't have transportation. They don't have somebody that can take them there. They don't drive on their own. We've also had, with kids has been another area of success that we really are seeing. We have countless stories of kids under seven, eight that usually require if they need some stitches or some sort of a, a minor procedure done in the ER, they possibly have to get sedated, possibly have to get restrained and whatnot. And we have several cases where they just sat in their bed with their mom and got a local anesthetic and got some stitches. So those are the kind of things that we're seeing as the shift is is really trying to focus on the patient experience as most people would know, they're probably more comfortable getting care in their home than they are driving somewhere sterile,
0: a feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And you you think about, you know, this this ever slow process of moving to value here in our country um, as far as a payment model, but you got to think that you know, this has one of some of the biggest opportunities right. for that, right? Just, just the, the reduction of cost if, if someone, you know, in relatively short amount of time could come to your house rather than going to, going to the hospital, going to the emergency room. And all around, just the, the quality of care because you're in your home, you feel safer. That all leads to better outcomes that we know. Have you had any luck in the kind of value-based conversation with payers?
1: We haven't yet. I think the concept's still new and we're a fairly small group. You know, it, It was started as a solo provider and him and myself, basically. And we've grown now. We have a couple other providers that have started, but we're still a fairly small group. And there's a, the other groups doing it are all fairly small with the exception of the national group that's here doing it. But their focus is 100% urgent care. They're not doing any of this other type stuff in in improving that access. They're focused 100% on just, you have a cough, we'll come for you for your cough type thing.
0: Gotcha. Scott, anything else that you learned that you want to tell our listeners about when when you set this up?
1: I think the other piece was is, is that it showed all of us that are involved that we can think outside the box and healthcare can tolerate thinking outside the box. You know, I think given all the, the regulations and restrictions and everything that it goes into into uh, everything that goes into being part of healthcare. We think we have to fit within these these rules and regulations. And that's true. And I think what this showed us is we have the ability to take a step back. And if we need to try and do something outside the box, there's opportunity for that. And there's open-mindedness for it. And it's possible even to operate within the current box, but maybe pushing the edge just a little bit and still staying in compliant,
0: compliance. Awesome. With, with all successes, when all endeavors, you know, I, I try to push out this, this mark or measurement, which is, you know, how do you know you're successful? How did you know you were successful with this? So we
1: knew we were successful when we got through our first year and we were actually profitable and the schedule was full. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Um, and I'm sure there's people out there saying, you know, what does that mean? I mean, is it is it mean that, you know, the provider's making comparable wage that he or she was and working about the same amount of hours or more or less? Kind of what'd that look like? Um
1: so no, they're they definitely don't make as much as they would if they were seeing uh, you know, twenty to forty patient population day. Mm-hmm. But they're working a lot less hours. They're they're not they have the ability to do their charts and do all of their ordering and all of their stuff while they're sitting there with the patient as opposed to having their visits, getting their charts done, but then spending after hours reviewing labs and and whatnot. So the providers, they definitely are not making as much as they would have if they were in... Traditional brick and mortar clinic, but their satisfaction is higher, and they are enjoying what they do.
0: Right, quality of life is improved, and, and yes, you know, absolutely, man, that that means so much. And, and you know, oftentimes, we're we're fooled to chase the material thing. So good to hear that success is you know is transcends that you know material and dollars, and, and it's really about the care that's delivered, and and ultimately how that provider feels and fulfilled through that. So. You know, a big thank you, Scott, for being innovative and helping this provider push forward. Really nice work. You know, as a recap, listeners, Scott showed us how thinking outside the box in um, not a new delivery model, but but one that we haven't seen in a while, which is uh, mobile medicine and how impactful that can be on both the patient's lives as well as the provider. So if you're a provider or you are working with a provider that might be burned out or getting to that edge, certainly there's other options. So we encourage you to think about this and and see if you can potentially implement it. Thanks for tuning into the MedMan podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit
1: us at medman.com.